this series for a while in His image, looking at what it truly means to be created in the image of God, meaning that we are His representative. God had designed His creation to have His representation on the earth. Adam was originally created as a imager, a representative of God, carrying his authority. He had the authority on the earth to expand the garden. He was given a job. He, of course, falls. The nation of Israel was God's representative on the earth. They were to make all other nations see what it means to follow Yahweh and draw them to it. Of course, they did not get it right. Jesus comes in the express image of the Father to let us see exactly who God was and how he responds. And he got it right. But since then, he left his representatives on the earth. We call them disciples. This is who we are. This is what a born-again believer is. We are in the express image of Jesus, carrying with that his authority. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So when he says this, he gives a command. Go and make disciples. Why? Because all authority has been given to him. We're saying that today. There's no name above the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is. It is powerful. Because with that name expresses an authority that had been given to him. And then he puts that name on his disciples. And as a result of that, you are to go and make disciples. It's not complicated, right? So the idea here is a disciple is somebody associated with a particular teacher or teaching. You know the true disciples of Jesus because they stuck out like a sore thumb. They were very obvious. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But it's no different. If you go and you see a woman who has got a shroud on and completely covered, doesn't take a genius to figure it out, she's likely Muslim. Right? There's things associated with who you follow. That's what these disciples were. That's what made them stand out. John chapter 14 verse 12 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also in greater works than he, that will, the, will he do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I'm not an expert, but anything seems to imply anything. Obviously, inside of the will of God, obviously you can't ask God to, I don't know, murder my neighbor because he cuts his grass too short. Like, that's not going to work. But when he says this, he says, you go, whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask, what should we be asking for? How about our loved ones come to a relationship with Christ? How about our neighbors? What should we be asking for that we aren't asking for? You have not because you ask not. Right? Every time I'm on the phone with somebody and we're buying something and, you know, for the church or whatever, I'm like, hey, is it the get one free day? And they're like, oh, no, that was yesterday. I'm like, darn it. Well, you have not because you ask not. One of these days, somebody's going to say yes. It's worth a shot. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you know. So what made Jesus stand out? Well, he was the express image of the Father. And who did the work through him? The Father. So if he's the express image of the Father, and they use miracle signs and wonders to draw people to him, and we are his disciples... His express image, what do you think is going to happen with us? 
As we go and do the works that Jesus did, do you think it may get some attention? Of course it will. Will all that attention be good? Of course it won't. Not on this earth anyway. Wasn't good for him. Led him to the cross. Wasn't good for his disciples. They were all martyred. They are all killed. What can we expect for us? Should be the same. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you should be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power. Acts chapter 1. We see the Holy Spirit come down upon them and they receive power. And as you read the book of Acts, we see them walk in the fullness of that power. The question is, is why did they need that? He didn't just tell them to go. He said, he told them to wait. Hang tight because you can't do what I've called you to do. And this is where it got interesting. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And as you well know, he goes into the, the very specifics of that armor. But the question is, is why? Why do we need it? Oftentimes, we've talked about this as a defense mechanism. That we can stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, that word wild means methods, the methodos. The methods of which he attacks. It implies in the Greek that it's like a road that he comes and he continues to hit it time and time and time again until finally he breaks through, he fractures it, and now he has got a, an entrance into your life. But is this armor a defensive mechanism or is it an offensive mechanism? You know what the correct answer is? Yes. Yes. It's both. You see, he told them to go into the world and make disciples. All authority has been given to me. You go, therefore. Paul's telling these people, these disciples, whom were made, do you realize that the, the Ephesus church was not full of unbelievers? Paul was not telling the unbelievers that, hey, you need to put on the armor of God. He was telling the church, why? What were they doing? Well, they were in a very dark place. It was one of the central parts of paganism at that time and what do you think that they were out doing making disciples why did they need the armor because they're going into the enemy's camp can anybody hear that without hearing darling check in their head right now took back what he stole anyway sorry squirrels Y'all, this is the thing. This armor is not just defensive. We're not sitting back waiting to be attacked. We are attacked because we're on mission for God. In first, or 2 Corinthians 10, it says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you with the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So when we understand that we're not wrestling against the people we're looking at, we're look, wrestling against the spirit that is behind the people that we're looking at, that helps us, number one. But when he says the weapons of our warfare, what does that imply? Are they defensive weapons? Or are they offensive weapons? You know what the correct answer is? Yes. Who starts the wrestling match? Should be us. Because we're going into the enemy's camp. 
What are the weapons? Well, he doesn't actually tell us here. Where did he tell us? Ephesians 6. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he says, pray with all kinds of prayer, without ceasing. That's the idea from a Roman soldier to have multiple lances. I don't want to get into all of that today. But they were offensive weapons. They were intended to be used offensively to go in there and take territory for their kingdom. What are we to do? Why did he say go make disciples? Why did he say, hey, let's just have a nice little group together? Works out really well. It works great for all the cults. Get a small group together. We hang out for a few years. We drink the Kool-Aid and they talk about us 30 years later. This is exactly what Jesus was intending. Offensively going. Well, the problem is the church, modern day, America, first world, however you want to say it, is sitting back waiting to be attacked. Well, why would you be attacked if you're not a threat? You see, every time something bad happens to us, like, oh, I'm being attacked by the enemy. Maybe you did something stupid. You know, I have, I've, for years, I know I've talked about this, but I've had people come to me because they're having financial problems, right? And they're like, I don't know, I'm waiting on God's blessings and stuff like that. Nine times out of ten, if we just make a budget, problem solved. It's amazing. Just tell your money what it's going to do. If you do that, you tend to have more than enough. Ten, there are exceptions to that rule. I told you the story about the young lady when we were going to Bible school. Friends of ours comes up and she said, hey, man, rent's due. I don't have the money. Will you pray with me? I'm just believing God for the money to pay my rent. I said, absolutely. I'll be glad to pray with you. Where do you work at? She's like, well, I don't have a job. When we get done with school, I go read my Bible and I spend time praying. I'm like, you don't need prayer. You need a job. Get in the car. We'll go get some applications. I could have thrown a thus saith the Lord on there, but I didn't feel like I needed to. Right? We're sitting here waiting like, oh God, what's happening to me is so bad. What if that's not the attack of the enemy? What if he's standing back like, y'all screwed your life up enough, I don't got to touch you. That's what we're waiting on. We act like this is what happens to us. We act like we have nothing that could happen to us. We act like, oh, he's just some toothless lion. You see, here's the thing. We are in a spiritual battle. There's no question. That. The problem is we don't necessarily know it. The battle has been ongoing. We are so comfortable as the body of Christ that we don't even recognize what's happening around us. If somebody says something we don't like, we're quick to respond, especially on social media. But we're going after the individual and maybe not the spirit behind it. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's time to start the match. See, that's, as I showed you guys, that's what happened to Babylon. They fell as a result of their comfort. They were in the walls. Nobody can get through these walls. We've got this. Cyrus, he stays out there. No big deal. What's he do? Dams the river up, lowers it. They get in. They didn't even know what was happening until it was too late. See, that's what happens to us. We don't even know what's happening until it's too late because we don't have our spiritual antenna up. We're not on high alert. First uh, Peter 5 says, be sober and vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. When a lion is looking for prey, does he go to the strongest one? No. What do they do? They get something isolated that's weaker and they can catch. They're not looking to show how tough and fast they are. They're looking to eat. The problem we've got, church, 
is we don't even recognize what's happening. We do not realize that we've got a spiritual battle, that attack's coming against us, and that we should be attacking the enemy. That we should expect attacks. But do we have everything that we need to withstand them? Yes, absolutely. Do we withstand them? No. Why? Well, look at 1 Timothy 4. Verse 1, it says, The Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrine of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Why did he say that some will depart from the faith? They will give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Why did he tell them that? Maybe because it was going to happen. And maybe because it was happening then. Because people had gotten in and entered in and created confusion. And people started chasing after the wrong things. Now what should they have done? They should have taken the sword of the Spirit up and cut that sucker up. Said no, this is what the Word says. What did Jesus say? It is written. We watched that take place in Matthew chapter 4. We watched the enemy come in with a false teaching, a false idea. And what did Jesus say every single time? It is written. Was that defensive or offensive? It was defensive. In that case, you can see it as both. But we're not doing that. Because we don't even realize that this stuff's coming against us. We are more prone to false teaching, deceiving spirits, and doctrine of demons than any other generation in history. Do you know why? Because many, many years ago, to hear a false teaching, do you know what you had to do to hear it? You had to go to where that person was. Now all you got to do is pull out your phone. We even send them out in meme form now. Which is awesome. Am I the only one that's seen heretical memes out there? Here's one. This is very simple, okay? This is not like damnable or anything like that. But just look at the, the mindset of, of our people in, 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 the, in America primarily. It's when somebody dies. Well, heaven gained another angel. No. He quit making those. He doesn't need more. That's not how that works. Now we kind of laugh at that. Or how about this one? Oh, have fun up there with Grandpa and Grandpa. Open a beer for all of us. I don't think that's how that works. Right? It's just little things like that that enter in unaware. We all have little things like that that we have believed in one way or another. But how do we overcome those? The sword of spirit, the word. So as I began last week to give you guys this idea, there's four parts that every believer must know and understand. Number one is who God is. That's important. You've got to understand Him. Not who you think God is, but how He has revealed Himself through His Word. That's who God is. Not who you think He is. Not what you think He likes. Not what you want Him to like. Do you realize that some of the things that God has laid out as His standards are really inconvenient? You know, it's really easy to get rich if you go steal from people. It's way easier. Working's hard. Stealing, not as hard. But God didn't like that. So who God is. Who I am in relationship to Him. That's number two. You have to know that. Because if God's up here and I'm down here, am I this lowly being that's just waiting on God to drop the proverbial hammer on me every time I sin? Or am I a child of God? 
If Christ is the head and I am His body, where am I seated? Can I go into His throne room? I have to be invited in. Like, how's that work? We have to know who we are in relationship to Him. The third one is who is my enemy? The fourth, just so you know, is how do we worship God? But number three, who is my enemy? If you don't know that, if you don't know what His methods are, His attacks, when they come, you won't recognize them. We've already seen one as an example. What's one method he uses? Deception. Doctrine of demons. And I told you guys this week, and it's something that we all kind of know, but we never really think about. If you think the temptation is simply to get you to sin, you're wrong. His temptation is to draw you away from God. To draw you away from His Word. To draw you away from church. In Matthew 4, do you realize that the devil quoted two psalms to Jesus? Angels will lift you up. And what did Jesus say? It is written. He even used the word against him. Where do you think these false teachings come from? They all come from the same place. So, understand that it's not just trying to get you to sin. It's what that sin will ultimately do. It will draw you away from God. It will draw you away from His Word. It will draw you away from the church. What's He doing? He's looking for someone He may devour. Let's get Him separated. If you don't know who you are in relationship to God, you'll never walk in the fullness of the power. You'll never be on mission for God. You'll never do anything good. He can ignore you. You're not a threat. In Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2, says your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear now yes I realize that's an old covenant principle but the, the principle itself is still there what does sin do separate you from God you cannot be separated from God in respect to your salvation but you can certainly in respect to your relationship Jesus was uh, they were trying to draw Jesus away from God and the parable of the four soils what were they what do they do they're caught up in the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, all of this stuff. Draw them away from God so that they produce no fruit. That's the principle. Adam, drawn away from God. But as I said, these false teachings enter in. How we respond to them matters. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 2. I introduced this idea last week. I am going to give you a little bit more today. And I'm almost done. Because if I start that next part, y'all ain't going home today. Ugh. Next time, pack a lunch. You just never know. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus right Now, let me just be clear. If you sat through, when I talked through the book of Revelation a few years ago on Wednesday night, um, God does not need John to write a letter to an angel. You guys understand that? Angel means messenger. It is believed he's likely writing this to the pastor of that church. But just so you, in case you're wondering, God didn't go to John's like, listen, can you write these down so the angels can read it and that they can understand it? That's not what happened here. These things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have fought, uh, left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate 
the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now let's break this down for a minute. First of all, which church is it? It's the church of Ephesus. So, as I told you, this is a very pagan place. Where did Paul write and to whom did he write about the armor of God? The church of Ephesus. Very good. So it's the same people. Now look what he says. I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. And you can't stand those who are evil. That's good. This is a commendation. Very good, church. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. That means that there were people who were trying to come into the church claiming apostolic authority and you tested them. Holy cow, wait a minute. You're telling me that not every person who stands behind a pulpit has good intentions? Whether that's in a church setting, whether that's in an internet setting. According to this, and what did that church do? They tested them. And then say, and I know you have a few disagreements with them. You have found them to be liars. That's pretty strong language. How did they test them? What did they test them against? Which standard did they use? The Word. It's the same every time. That sword of the Spirit. But, then he says something. You have left your first love. Now, that's interesting. When you actually dig into this a little bit, you start to realize that this first love idea is that what they were out to do. When somebody gives their life to Christ initially, there's an excitement and enthusiasm, and they typically begin the work of an apostle. They go out and they talk to everybody they know. It's no different than if you are supernaturally healed, you tell everybody you know, let me tell you what God did for me. This is incredible, right? That happens. And these guys happen to be on mission in a very, very dark place. Ephesus was not a good place. Ultimately becomes one of the largest churches ever, but, but it was not a good place. And he says, you've left your first love. You need to come back. Therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first work. Get back to the basics. Get back at it. This was a church that got real comfortable where they were. They were not pressing in. They were not pursuing. They were existing. Sound familiar? Should. But then he says, this you have. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. I also hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. This is Jesus talking. Well, who were the Nicolaitans? And what were their deeds? It doesn't tell us. But they knew, right? He wouldn't write it otherwise. They weren't sitting there on, on a Sunday morning reading this together like, I have no earthly idea what he's talking about. So they obviously knew who the Nicolaitans were and what their deeds were, actions, teachings, all of that. But it doesn't tell us, Okay. Now, let's go down a little bit. Let's go to verse 12. So that's the church of Ephesus. Here's the church of Pergamos. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. Because you have, put, uh, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. 
So here we see it again. Now let's go back. Pergamos, pagan, bad pagan, very pagan. I'm not going to go into all the details of that, but just trust me on this. It is not good. You can look at that on your own time. It says, where Satan's throne is. Now, do you think that's just a metaphor? Some have turned this into a metaphor. But if you understood the temple of Zeus and the other temples that were there, where does Satan throw? Principalities and powers above, right? Where do you think he is? This is where Satan's throne was. So this church, do you think they were facing some persecution? Maybe some opposition? Do you think they quietly gathered on a Sunday and just like, oh, kumbaya, my Lord. I mean, do you think that was going on? Or do you think they were facing it? They were facing it. How do we know? Well, you hold fast my name. You didn't deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr. So we know somebody was killed, and these guys still held fast to his name and did not deny his faith. But Antipas was killed. Well, who was Antipas? doesn't tell us. You're not going to read about him somewhere else. You actually have to go through the pages of history to get that. Now, we're going to answer that question in a minute. The doctrine of Balaam and Balak, which is where I was going to go today, I'm going to stop there, okay? We will get into that part next week. But he says, Antipas was killed, and it talks about who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. So, Jesus told the church of Ephesus he hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, he's told Pergamos he hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, you do not have to be a Bible scholar to figure out Jesus does not like the doctrines of the Nicolaitans. Can we all agree on that? It's abundantly clear. It doesn't tell us what it was. It doesn't tell us who Antipas was. So let me give you a little bit of history. This has been written down by early church fathers, people that were around at that time. There are writings out there where you can glean into this. What is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Well, Pergamos is known as a compromised church. And their doctrine was a compromised doctrine. The word Nicolaitans literally means victory over the people. That's what it means. It was a doctrine of compromise. What was happening is that as the gospel went forth in Pergamos, people were getting saved. And you know what happened when they gave their lives to Christ? They stopped being influenced by the world. They stopped going to the theater. They stopped going to the bathhouses. They stopped going to the different athletic events. Do you know why? Because of the depravity. See, the theater isn't what we think. See, the theater today is kind of like upscale if you go to the theater. I went to saw Hamilton or whatever. You dress up real nice. You do all that kind of stuff. I don't, but you might, right? I hate musicals. I don't understand why they got to sing so much. Just tell me, get to the point, quit putting in a song, whatever neither here nor there hallelujah but the depravity that was going on stage the sexual immorality that was being committed on stage it was profane all of a sudden these christians didn't want anything to do with that why do you think that is i don't know the athletic events sounds great we have athletic events here don't we man and we're getting ready to start some ain't we Thursday night, baby. Go Big Red. Let's do this. I'm excited. You should be too. You love Jesus. You'll cheer Thursday night. I'm just saying. But their athletic events were completely different. Because they were done all in the nude. We've come a long ways, folks. 
a long ways. Absolutely. They would go in there. There there would be nudity everywhere. They were, of course, killing people for sport. I mean, you read about it. It was rough. And if you can see the way these things were built, it was incredible architecture. The bathhouse sounds nice. They didn't have running water in their houses. You need a bath. Where do you go? That's not what was going on there. This is where people went to meet, to fornicate, and do all of that kind of stuff. And then you had the temples. They quit going to all the temples. You know why they quit going to all the temples? Because as they walked in, and this is where a lot of stuff would take place, good stuff, what we would consider good, is you'd have to go in there and you'd have to pinch incense. Long live Caesar. Whoever the ruler was, there is no God above Caesar. They believed the Caesars were the gods. They believed that these people, that's the son of God was the son of Caesar. Okay? So you've got to understand what was taking place. So if the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is a doctrine of compromise, what do you think the doctrine was? Listen, we've got to live here. And going to the theater is really not that big of a deal. It's just entertainment. Going to the athletic events, not that big of a deal. It's just entertainment. It's not a big deal. Just, just pinch the incense, burn it. Just say it. It'll be fine. You don't have to mean it. Just say it. This is what was going on. This is what Jesus hated. They didn't go and try to put their own spin on it. The faithful martyrs didn't. But the compromised church, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans were laying led by a guy named Nikolai. And he was sitting there telling like, guys, it's okay. God made you this way. It's not a big deal. You can just do it. God doesn't mind. He understands how hard it is. So who was Antipas? Well, Antipas was believed to be the pastor. He was certainly a leader. Anti means against, and pos means all. So he's probably grumpy, I'm assuming. But he was against all. But he was arrested. Do you know what he was arrested for? Casting out demons. Now, if you understand the occult practice that was going on there, and you don't, and I don't have time to get into all the details, but just understand, it's very pagan. There was all these rituals going on. They were sacrificing animals to all these false gods. There were soothsayers, and you could go to have, have your fortunes told, and all that kind of stuff. Like, typical occult stuff all going on there. Well, when you're casting out demons, and we know because we're, uh, we understand Scripture that demons are behind all of those practices, how do you think that went over? Not very well. And so they arrested him. The pagan priests create a coup, I guess, if you will, because he's disturbing the spirit realm. Have him arrested. They take him to court, and they demand to reject his faith. If he rejects his faith, they will let him go. But he has to stop teaching in that name. Now what do you think he did? Well, he refused, obviously, because he called a faithful martyr. He gave up his life for what was right. But how did they martyr him? Well, I want you to picture this. They would have an idol that was a large bronze bull. Bronze, brass, whatever it was. And they had a door in the side of it. And they would put whoever in there, whatever sacrifice they were making in it. Now, this wasn't just something they used to kill Christians. Any sacrifice that they were making. There were human sacrifices going on. They would put them inside of there and light a fire all the way around it. And that metal would heat up. And essentially, it would cook them to death. But up inside the throat, into the mouth of that bull, were different air instruments of horns and things like that. 
that as that person began to scream out in pain, it would give life to the bull. And that was how they knew that the God was satisfied in this. As it began to moan out, I assume sounds like a bull. I thought about trying to impersonate that for you, but I'm just not going there. You're welcome. I have a shofar back there. I can try blowing that. Maybe that would be close enough. This is what Antipas signed up for. What do you think Jesus hated? He calls him his faithful martyr because he refused to do that. He refused to compromise. This is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Hey, it's okay. We can go to this show. We can listen to this music. It's a little different today. Jesus hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And you know what's crazy about this? Because they were facing some intense persecution. It wasn't the persecution that Jesus was trying to stop. That wasn't the worst part that was happening in the church. It was the spiritual infection that had gotten in the church known as this false doctrine where they just, oh, it's okay. God will understand. You see, it's, it's a spiritual sickness sent to weaken the church. This is what he's talking about be thinking about it. We're going to get into the doctrine of Balaam next week. You're welcome, by the way. I got a good 45 minutes left. Yeah, y'all owe me, so you know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray that our hearts are soft, that we hear from you and we understand what you're telling us, Lord, what you've given us in your word, that we may be more faithful to you. So, Lord, I just pray that our hearts are open to hear from you each and every day. And we're led and guided by you, Lord. And we will let nothing stand between you and us. Lord, I just pray that you are glorified in every aspect of our lives. And Father, I thank you that we are on high alert, ready for anything that may try to come against us. And Lord, I thank you that we are on mission for you. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.